It's our WrestleMania 36, not one, but two-part review show with special guest on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. I'm not going to lie. Any one of the three people that are going to be on this show tonight probably would have rocked whatever concoction of an outfit Rob Gronkowski wore as the quote-unquote host of WrestleMania 36 that was supposed to take place in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, but instead took place in the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, with a few exceptions. This is our extravaganza known as the WrestleMania 36 review show on the Double Turn Podcast. And of course, is with yours truly, Boss Ross, and my, well, my co-pilot on this show. But really, he kind of leads the way on a lot of things. My man, the J-Man, Jorge. How are you this evening, sir? My good brother. I'm doing fantastic. What a lovely evening it is out here in the East Valley, out in the desert, my friend. And uh, I'm just happy that, again, we get to do this one more time. This is officially episode number 102, but this is not the start of season three. Season three will be starting in the next few weeks, where Ross and I have a lot of plans and a lot of ideas that we're kind of concocting and we're really excited for. But we needed to make sure that we kept this a traditional Double Turn podcast episode of a review show, considering the fact that we just went through the biggest show of the wwe and for the most part professional wrestling landscape and calendar and i just cannot wait to get deep deep into this to answer your question how am i i am well my friend it is absolutely wonderful to go ahead and see you once again on the other side of the computer screen so before we get started and before we introduce our special guest for this show uh we are all doing this via zoom which means we're all doing this via video conferencing tonight with our own little setups. Uh, Jorge is, is uh, manning the recording equipment tonight. So uh, it's been a little different these last couple of episodes with what's going on in the world. Of course, that is not the topic of this show. However, because WrestleMania 36 was supposed to take place in a big football stadium with lots of people. And then of course, the big news of course, is the fact that we have a pandemic on our hands. I'm not trying to make the show about the pandemic, but it is affecting everything that's going on. So the three of us in this show are not together. We are miles apart from each other. That is the dedication of us trying to bring the Double Turn podcast to you. As Jorge said, this is episode 102. And so we we plan on trekking along with our scheduling. Of course, my work schedule changed a little bit of the recording schedule in general. And then, of course, everything going on in the world. We've got some big news as well before we dive into WrestleMania 36. But please, Jorge, without further ado, because I've stalled long enough on this show, would you please introduce our very welcome guest back to the show uh, for this great review? Absolutely. So this lovely, lovely evening, which is Good Friday, by the way, where Easter weekend is upon us. But we got the good brother, Tom, the thunderous wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops, who was with us uh, a few weeks back in late January, who was kind enough to treat us with this presence, and we got a chance to record, I believe it was episode 94 with him, and uh, you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everything, Google Podcasts, which by the way, we'll we'll, we'll do the socials in a little bit, but welcome back to Good Brother Tom, the Thunderous Wizard. Uh, My friend, how are you? 
Let me tell you something, brothers. It is good to be back to talk WrestleMania. Well, it's a pleasure I to have was, you, man. I was very excited uh, to be asked to uh, discuss this, you know, big event, biggest event of the year, uh, because it was the oddest WrestleMania I think we'll ever have, at least I hope. Uh, but there's a lot of good in that odd, you know. But it wasn't, it felt weird having WrestleMania uh, the way it turned out. I 100% agree with you, so, uh, Tom. Go ahead, Ross. So so Tom was supposed to join us for episode 100. We had this grand plan. We were going to do this big celebration, which, of course, episode 100 you can find also, as it was only a few episodes back. It was actually the last episode Jorge and I did together live at Casa de Jorge. Um, that was a great show. We were supposed to have Tom on that show course with everything else we had to reschedule i knew we were going to have him back i just not, did not know when so uh we are thankful that you are on this show with us and yes we hope this is the most bizarre the most just very jarring wrestlemania 36 um it was of course stretched out on two nights uh it was not in front of lots of people and quite frankly everything was taped out beforehand in fact, they had multiple finishes prepared for multiple matches, depending on what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do things. Of course, with the decision to do two nights, it kind of spaced everything out. That is also a topic I want to get into of, is this a formula that can be a winning formula for WWE to break up these big shows that are six hours long into two night events? We'll get into that. We'll get into everything. We'll get into the pre-produced matches, the live matches, or of course the live matches. I'm doing that thing with my air quotes. And some of the decisions that were made. But we must start, and I must get everybody's opinion on the big news that happened in world wrestling entertainment. Other than the fact that the XFL closed up shop after one season, or even not even after one season, or the second time in a row. However, the XFL probably would have had a longer lifespan the second time than the first time, but they shut down operations. That was another big story. But the big, big news, WWE, the Revival, have been granted their release from World Wrestling Entertainment. And according to the J-Man, because I did not know this, and of course, Tom will be uh, Tom will be commenting on this as well, these guys are officially free agents and can jump whenever they want. Dash and Dawson are free agents. Gentlemen, I speak for most of the wrestling community when we say thank god this has happened <laughs> well i'll tell you what ross i'm gonna let our wonderful guest go first and get his opinions because i know he's just a bit he's as just as much of a tag team guy as we are so mr wizard please take the floor give us your opinion my friend i uh this is big news it's awesome news um i think you know, it was a conscious decision by them to send the revival home, sit them down, not pay them. Uh, but when we get into the two-night WrestleMania stuff, uh, one of the glaring issues for me is that you have a tag team championship match, and instead of having a, a team like the revival, which wouldn't have been in the match, obviously, because bitter feelings, this, that, and the other, but you have a brand new tag team that it didn't exist a week and a half ago that nobody cares about wrestling for the tag team titles. 
like that was a big problem when you have six and a half hours of television and I thought they have four hours of matches maybe right so I'm glad like you don't sometimes it feels they don't understand how to utilize people obviously the revival felt that way so go to a double to AEW preferably spread your wings just fists no flips wrestle some great matches I think it's awesome I agree with you, Tom. Um, I think that if they do, not not what I would say the logical thing is, but what I would say that most people want is for Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson to sign with All Elite Wrestling. I think that's probably the most likely scenario that's going to happen. And obviously, if they show up, AEW continues to collect talent and continues to build up what is, without question, the best tag team division on this on the face of this earth there is no other company in professional wrestling today that has a better tag team division than aew i get nxt but even nxt doesn't have anything quite as close as this they've already got what many people consider the best tag team in the world in the young bucks you've got los boricuas in santana and ortiz then you've got the dark order and then you've got Oh my gosh, Ross, I can't even remember. Who is the, the, the best friends? You've got Private Party. You've got, I don't even know how many guys they have over in that tag team division, but it, it's beyond stacked. And when you add a team that myself just a few months ago thought was the number three team in pro wrestling as a tag team, and you add them into the mix, oh sweet Lord in the heavens above. So other news that is coming out from this is that it is reported that uh, uh, Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder have officially changed their Twitter handles to names that they supposedly might be using for a company like AEW. These names are Dax Harwood, because uh, that would be that would be Mr. Dawson. His real name is David Harwood. And then... Um, Dash Wilder would go as Cash Wheeler because his real name is Daniel Wheeler. The same report says they have trademarked the following things, which I also absolutely love. No flips, just fists. Say yeah. Yeah. Top guys. Hashtag FTRKO, which is hilarious. And the best thing ever, because I will still tell you with a straight face, the best tag team finisher in all of wrestling. Shatter Machine. trademark Shatter Machine. Excellent. Thank goodness. So, so um, if if that's true, mm-hmm. and if everything is on the level, they could go by a lot of different team names. They could go by Top Guys. They could go by Shatter Machine. They could go by Dax and Cash. They could go by just about anything. I personally wish they would go back to what they used before the revival. The mechanics? That being the mechanics. Right. But, you know, it's probably too cheesy and too bland and whatever. Yeah, you were talking about AEW's tag team division. Uh, I will argue it's probably the deepest division in most of professional wrestling. Um, and when you leave a company where Vince McMahon has said on multiple occasions that he's not a tag team wrestling guy and he probably never will be and that company will never be about tag teams until he is not in a controlling stance in that company which probably means vince would have to die 
I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just saying that that's probably when tag team wrestling will be taken seriously again. So, um, you are absolutely correct, Tom, about the fact that the revival would have fit in very nicely on this WrestleMania card if they were still part of the plans. Um, there are way too many tag teams in all of pro wrestling, not just WWE, where you have teams that are two singles guys that are a tag team that are the champions. In fact, for a while, the only quote-unquote team that were the tag team champions, the North in Impact Wrestling, who, thank God, are still the champions, repping strong tag team wrestling. So the Revival, or at least for now we're calling them the Revival because they're not officially with another company, they are gone mm -hmm. from WWE. And this is not the Brody Lee situation, the Luke Harper situation where... He was off, he was on, he was off, he was on. Then it was, what, a 90-day no-compete for Luke Harper, now Brody Lee. Which, by the way, Brody Lee looks like he's, he's in incredible shape. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it was just you wrestling in that dirty gear for so long I never noticed. I think it was that. I think it was that, to be honest no. with you. And, and, and not to go ahead and get too off-topic and whatnot, but I really do think that it may have been the wardrobe. Because even you take, you know, obviously his wardrobe in the Wyatt family was one gimmick and then when he was part of the Bludgeon Brothers it was another thing um and so uh, I you know obviously he just wore like a wife beater and jeans is all he wore um so I think that that probably takes away from the physique that you may have in the same capacity that Bray Wyatt when he was the leader of the Wyatt family wore a short sleeve unbuttoned shirt and now all of a sudden like he's super yoked it will that also being the fact that Bray Wyatt just got super yoked when he was gone for like the nine months that he was but that all being said I think it has a lot to do with that but um there was obviously a lot um, of superstars in WWE go ahead Ross this is just a question for both of you yeah. um because I don't actually know the answer mm. is AEW still doing semi like new content right now or are they kind of in the wwe stance of they're taping stuff out and kind of they're they're taping stuff they out that, that what i'm seeing is that they've taped stuff out so if let's say the revival or dax and cash or whatever they're going to go by if they did sign they show up next week and they're taping that is correct and we won't go ahead and see that till maybe like a week from, or depending on how they're you know shooting their stuff maybe they'll just say oh hey we're gonna this is the very interesting about all thing about all elite wrestling and i'll let tom jump jump in in a second is they have their foot and i'm i'm so mad to say this but it is the truth and i'm not gonna die the truth they have their foot right in the throats of nxt right now nxt beat them i don't know if you guys saw this nxt beat them by 1,000 viewers this week and they had essentially half a takeover and you only beat right. All Elite Wrestling by 1,000 viewers when All Elite Wrestling was only really worrying about their TNT championship, which is their equivalent of their television championship. Not to say that that's not important, but Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa and the NXT num women's number one contendership ladder match were the headliners for NXT, and you still only beat them by 1,000 viewers? That's a problem. That is a major problem that I need them for them to correct. And then the fact of the matter is AEW just got the trump card by just picking up the biggest free agent tag team in the last five years. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, and uh, if wrestling fans out there, do you think the Revival are the last people to become disgruntled with WWE's consistent mismanagement of top-tier talent properties? 
this is going to start happening. It was already happening. Brody Lee was a big jump. The revival, should they sign with AEW, is a big jump. John Moxley. I got to tell you, John Moxley, right? You watch AEW. Yeah, they're recording out. There's nothing WWE did, even on WrestleMania, that has topped them just being like, hey, here's your first match. It's Kenny Omega going for 35 minutes with this guy today. Mm. And you know, and, and, and like a, a Trent Brenner. And it's like, holy crap, holy cow, right. that match was incredible. Right. This is the one thing that I've appreciated about watching AEW. And again, as you both know, I don't have cable and I haven't really taken a look to see if who I did notice um, for the, anybody who's wa- listening to us and, and ha- is in the same same situation as me, doesn't have cable. Um, Ross, I, I, I've complained to, this, to, to you about this for like seven months now that um, when SmackDown made to move over to Fox, they took SmackDown off regular Hulu and they added it to Hulu Live. However, ever since the pandemic has occurred with COVID-19, SmackDown's on regular Hulu, which I was like, oh, sweet. So that means if I miss it, you know, like, for example, I'm missing it right now. It's 8.33. It's almost done, but obviously better reasons to miss it. Um, But that was, a, you know, I was very upset about that. And TNT did the same thing with AEW Dynamite. I'm curious to see as to whether or not they changed that. But the point that I was trying to get at, which, and I know we'll go ahead and get off the subject and get into WrestleMania in a second, was, uh, and I I don't know, obviously they might have some different restrictions depending on where where they're filming from, gentlemen, but they have, not fans, but they have people in the stands rooting on the wrestlers Whereas WWE does not have anybody in those stands. And I feel like that kind of gives you a little bit more of an edge because you've actually got people giving you the vibe. You know what I'm saying, Tom? It's the talent being invested in the rest of the talent and saying like, hey, we all went all in on this thing together. You know, no matter the circumstance, we're all still invested to the fullest. We want this to succeed. There's like a, a palpable excitement to the AEW shows mm-hmm. where these guys are all there hanging out. I know they're doing like rudimentary testing. They're making sure people don't have temperatures. Obviously, it's not up to health standards, but these guys want to be there. These guys and guys want to be there for each other. Right. And that's a huge thing. Now, we don't know how WWE is doing it. I'm sure the NXT guys, because they're very tight knit group as well. They probably want to do the same thing, but maybe WWE is not allowing uh, them. Yeah. But there is a huge difference. Uh, for one, it furthers the characters, particularly MJF and Sean Spears, right? A couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, they were they're gambling on the matches. And they're doing that consistently. And there's like this back and forth. It's like, ah, MJF is such an awful guy. You got Kip Sabian sitting in the crowd. He could be less interested in anything that's happened. And you're, you're building the characters in a weird and unfortunate circumstance. And the product is really, I think they're blossoming more than I thought a wrestling show could, given these weird, you know, these weird times that we find ourselves. A hundred percent agree with you. We're with Tom, the thunderous wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops, who is a major wrestling fan, a very knowledgeable wrestling fan, and he's back with us. Um, he's essentially, he's become a great friend of the show, always repping us in, uh, you know, this is now the second time is going to be he's on with us, and it's the se- it's the next one of many many times. We're going to make this a regular occasion that he's on with us. But my friend Rossinator Rastafarian, let's hop into the car, let's put it in drive, and let's hop on the freeway and let's discuss the greatness 
That was WrestleMania 36, two nights. The show so big that it required TDT to bring in an extra person to help us out. <laughs> All right, so so before we start into essentially the fact that you know we had a night one and night two, and they had you know lots of differences and lots of different things that, that kind of brought different groups of people to the show. I actually just want to get a very brief opinion from both of you. I'm going to start with you, Tom. I, I said it actually before we started that I actually thought it was a really good idea that they try doing these long events, WrestleMania, in multiple days because there is a real thing called fatigue with some of these long pay-per-views, WrestleMania, and SummerSlam particularly. I realize Royal Rumble has become kind of a long event too. Some of these other shows have become long events, but particularly SummerSlam and WrestleMania. They've made these, you know, big six-hour epic shows with lots of matches and lots of things in it. They had an opportunity. They changed up the time with everything that's going on. They said, we're going to do this in two days. And me personally, I thought the first night was three hours. I came away from it feeling refreshed, feeling full, being ready for day two. And then day two, I believe, went three and a half hours. And I'll tell you right now, I felt way better watching six and a half hours of programming for a WrestleMania broken up into two days rather than saying, oh my gosh, it's WrestleMania weekend. I have to block out six hours of my life watching this show so tom i'm going to start with you how did you feel about wrestlemania 36 being broken up into two days uh you know i, I was i talked about this the first time i was on the pod i didn't think wwe could fill two days i still believe that uh i love night one it ended on such an incredible high note uh night two kind of fell flat in a lot of ways for me um so would I prefer WrestleMania and SummerSlam just be four hours? Definitely. But if you're going to make them six and a half hours, this is kind of the way you have to do it. Because by the end, especially if night two went first, I would have been like, okay, I'm over it now. I, like, I got nothing left. Like, I'm bored after three and a half hours. We're going to get to the fact of, of your comment of, of night two because, I mean, Ori and I, of course, we talk all the time about, you know, if something happens on Raw or NXT or SmackDown or AEW, I mean, we talk multiple times a week when pretty much anything happens in wrestling. So when we get to night two, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Jorge, same question to you, brother. Uh, two nights, good idea, something that uh, this could be in the future for WWE. What were your thoughts? So you, you and I actually hopped onto an Instagram Live as soon as night one ended. And you, 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 you and I, you said a word right now in, in your monologue that, that resonated with me very, very well. And it was the word feeling refreshed. And as soon as you said that, or even prior to that, the first word that was coming to my mind was me feeling refreshed. Three hours, not only did it feel like the perfect amount of time, but I did not feel mentally drained. And I was like, oh, that's it? It's over? I was like, I looked at my clock. And now, granted, all three of us are here on the West Coast in the same city, but 
it was seven o'clock. It was like 7.05 by the time that everything was all said and done. And I looked and I was like, I still have three hours to go with my at least evening. Cause you know, I, I, I got kids, Tom's got kids. You know, we kind of have a similar bedtime sometimes and whatnot, but for me, I compare it to last year, Ross and I being in the studio. And now granted, we kind of brought it upon ourselves that we we always like to go ahead and watch the show and then do a pod right after that. We don't have that luxury anymore um, because of schedules, of course. But for us to have been in the studio until I think we got out of there at like 945, Ross and I had been there since 1.30 in the afternoon. So eight hours consecutive of not only recording a NXT New York review show, but then catching what was going on on the pre-show and then then watching an entire five and a half, five hour, 45 minute show that it was midnight in New York City by the time that Becky, Charlotte and Rhonda came out for their main event. And you were like, oh, my God, this is a lot that is going on. And so for it to be strategically spread out this way, I think that it worked this year i don't know if it would work for in a in in front of a live crowd next year but there's only one way to find out um i thought that for the circumstances that we're going through right now as a nation and as a world i think that it really ended up working very very well for them because at the end of the day what happened was wwe was able to please you with two nights worth of great content at least for the most part great content some people say night one was a bit of flat other others like yourself say that night two was a little bit flat there tom but at the end of the day and i know that we say oh two nights but if you really think about it the last few years nxt takeovers have been on right on that saturday night but it felt different it felt different this year um and not in a bad way i'm not going to say that it was in a bad way i actually it, it just felt right it felt like everything gave had a really strategic flow and maybe it was the fact that the takeovers are like two and a half hours three hours at the most and then mania is the five hours so maybe it was because it was more evenly spread out throughout the time maybe it was that so i think the reason why i say particularly wrestlemania should consider doing this is because i absolutely agree with tom's point in that there are a lot of matches on this show that did not need to be on the WrestleMania card. However, here is what I will tell you. If there's one event a year that WrestleMania to a fault will admit to you that they're going to get as many people on their show as possible because it's the quote unquote WrestleMania payday and everybody wants to be on WrestleMania and it is their Super Bowl. So if there's one event a year where I'm okay with there being a lot of stuff going on because it is the entertainment show of the year. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the best wrestling show of the year a lot of times. It's the entertainment show. And for an entertainment value, me sitting through two nights of three-hour programming is much more enjoyable than sitting through one night of six-hour programming. Think of it this way. We're all sports fans, okay? Most sports games take place between two and three hours maybe four hours if it's a long game right but two three hours right Mm -hmm. so if you're giving me two and three hours of one half of your show and then another three hours of the other half of your show one night a year i think i'm okay with that and you know i will say that uh, can i say one thing ross 
hours being a regular thing, mm -hmm. yes. But for one night a year, for your biggest event of the year, I'm okay with it going long. So go ahead and go ahead and say your point, and then we'll let uh, Tom. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing that I wanted to say is the fact that all three of us know that Monday Night Raw is three hours long, but there was a big difference with the pacing that was both nights of wrestlemania compared to monday night raw raw can I'm not saying that raw's bad all the time we all know that raw has its good things every once in a while and it, i should say more than one every once in a while obviously i'd probably say like 75 percent of the time wwe has figured out the formula of how to produce a good three-hour raw but WrestleMania, both nights just felt better paced. Like it went by much quicker, even including the fact that I had started watching at three o'clock that pre-show. Even even including that, because I I know most of us did, and we and, and we heard Rosenberg and we heard Graves host the pre-show, and we saw Renee on the with the backstage crew, and we saw the pre-show matches, which by the way weren't that bad. Um, and so really, we watched more eight hours of content on Saturday and Sunday, but. Again, the three and a half, four hours, depending on how much you actually watched, for whatever reason, it was just well, much, much better paced, and it allowed me to be able to be entertained for that allotment of time. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, no, I think in, in reflecting about what we got, had it been a six-hour show mm -hmm. and it ends the way it ends, I would have been pretty mad. I, I, <laughs> I would have been exhausted. Yeah. I would have been not only exhausted, I would have been mad. And I was like, seriously, that's how we wrap this thing up. You know? But when it's only three hours you're sitting there, I kind of expected to be disappointed with that match, to be honest. So, but if I'm waiting six hours to get to that thing, right. forget it. <laughs> well, let's so, go ahead, Ross. So, so let's go ahead and jump into night one. Of course, now here's here's the other crazy thing, right? And this is this is something, and, and we'll get to the fans here in a second. But very briefly, this was another very unique thing about WrestleMania 36. We did not know what matches were going to be on night one and which matches were going to be on night two until day of. Mm -hmm. I mean, we knew of these 16 matches that were taking place we didn't know there was going to be a pre-show match added so we had 18 matches for the whole thing but it was very unique waking up sunday morning going i have no idea what's on day one's card i have no idea what's closing day one i mean i realized that i'm going to get my answer for day two because of what didn't air mm -hmm. on day one but i thought that was kind of a unique thing of course i don't want them doing that on a regular basis because that annoys me to hell when they wait till the last smackdown to add like four matches when they could have just told me a week before and paced it out better that annoys me to death as as jorge knows because i complain about it every week thanks a lot wwe but i thought that um they had an opportunity and personally i think they took advantage of because wrestling fans we like to be surprised and, and swerved in a good way. And I'm not saying they were trying to swerve us, but they were kind of building anticipation because everybody's kind of going through this, this down period where we're all just kind of distant and everything. And they're like, you know what? Let's give something, let's, let's have them digest a little bit of this and have them wait to see what's on this card and then react to it instead of releasing it a week ahead and being like, 
oh god i really don't want to watch day one because day two's got all this stuff i really care about and instead they waited and built anticipation so i thought that was kind of cool um again please don't do that in the future i felt like that was a unique opportunity and they took advantage of it mm -hmm. but i have to get into this okay there was one fan in that building and it was the one on the ceiling i know everybody on twitter was going crazy for the fact that i was the only <laughs> fan in the building i don't know how great of a joke it was but whatever so um tom i'm going to start with you when you watch this show now i realize day one and day two are also different because day one we didn't really know what to expect. I mean, we had seen stuff on TV, but we didn't really know what to expect with a WrestleMania with no fans. So I want your opinion on what you thought the atmosphere was like on day one, and then how you as a fan adjusted to seeing that on night two, and how that impacted you as a fan watching the biggest event of the year with no fans. Um, it, it was tough. I think the big thing about day one is that it built to such a nice crescendo, and I don't think day two did. Uh, obviously, there was some missteps in day one, uh, but the big matches hit, and they were uh, competitive, and they were fun, and they, they hit all the right notes. So, yeah, ladder match in an empty stadium kind of sucks, but... Those guys sold out and they went for it, just despite that. Uh, uh, Elias and, and Corbin, I would have loved to see Corbin in a full stadium because he's, I still think he's their top heel. He gets so much great heat. Uh, he's reviled. He is the epitome of a chicken. Uh, it's And it's awesome. But they put on a good show. Uh, and then, of course, it ended with the appropriate match, which is a match you don't need a crowd for. And it's like, you close out the show with this, like, insane uh, match in a graveyard with the most popular superstar, arguably, ever, and the greatest wrestler on the planet, arguably, going at it, it ended perfectly. So it's like, that's how you end night one of Wrestlemania it built to that point I thought it started a little slow but I think pound for pound if you, if you stack the matches up night one was a stronger night than night two and and ending it in the right way was a huge factor in that because yeah it's weird and did we need Gronk no we absolutely did not need Gronk that was the weirdest thing about the whole ordeal because who is Gronk talking to besides himself and one, he's not good on the mic. So I saw on Twitter, you said he looked like seven miles of bad road. That may have been an understatement. Ross actually has people watching him on the live tweeting, yes, finally. I was like, he shows up and I'm like, what is happening right now? And we got we got 30 more minutes of Mojo Rally than I needed on the six and a half hour show. So Jorge, before you jump in here, I have to tell you, because this seems to be the consensus, not only Gronk, but there were several people on this show that they play so much, or they would have played so much better off of a live crowd. I really think there were some audibles that needed to be called. Now, I realized that they had already said Gronk was going to be the host, and they did the spot with the 24-7 title, they had that already baked in and i understand that at that point you're already sold out to do that 
but my goodness, there were just some things. Like, I guarantee you, and I and I think Gronk was totally unnecessary too, but I guarantee you, Gronk would have gotten some reaction with a crowd. Positive, negative, he would have gotten something from the crowd. He was wearing a bright suit. He's kind of flamboyant. He's kind of all over the place. No, of course he's not good on the mic. But I mean, how long do we have to slog through, you know, guest hosts of Raw that couldn't talk and chew gum? I mean, wasn't it Jeremy Piven that was on? Wasn't it Jeremy Piven that went ahead and hosted Monday Night Raw a few years ago and he called it Summerfest? Exactly. (laughs) Right, the Summerfest. Yeah, at least Gronk is a fan of WWE, yeah. All right, so Jorge, no fans. Was it jarring night one? Did you get used to it night I got two? used to it. Was it bizarre the whole time? No. It, what? To me, it, I mean, yeah, it was, of course, going to be bizarre. Don't get me wrong. But after I, I thought that for what was given, this is what I noticed on, a, on every single match throughout the entire two evenings. A lot of stiff wrestling, which to me was needed considering there was no crowd noise that can be able to block that out so if you it all started with the first match on the wrestlemania card on the real mess wrestlemania card which was the kabuki warriors versus alexa bloss let's try that again alexa bliss and nikki cross I'm not gonna say that all of them are the strongest of workers of course we all know the greatness that is oscar we all know the talent that is running through Kyrie Sane's veins. We know what Nikki Cross brings to the table. And to be fair, and Tom can allude to this, because, you know, I know what he thinks. Alexa Bliss is not the strongest worker of the four, but she does a really, really good job. That being said, I felt that those four ladies set a bar in a way that had they been in front of the live crowd they wouldn't have been able to do and what i mean by that was wrestling a particular style that they needed to wrestle in order for it to make sense not in front of a live audience one thing that um john cena for example uh is is notorious for the great john cena is he calls audibles in the middle of the ring sometimes in his matches and they are very very audible they're very you can hear them clearly through the through the microphones that pick up on the cameras so every single wrestler involved at wrestlemania this past weekend did not have the luxury of being able to call any audibles i get that they were editing in the back but there's you have got to be uh, you've got to be the best editor in the world to be able to go ahead and bleep out something like that and it's near impossible to be able to do that so these people had to literally memorize everything exactly to a t in order for them to produce the best thing possible and for the ladies to be the ones that started off this special wrestlemania i'm gonna call it that i'm gonna call it a special wrestlemania they're gonna be remembered for a very very long time as the ones who opened up night one and they set the bar for the remainder of the evening and i'm gonna say that they set a good bar not term, not in terms necessarily of match quality although i'm not gonna knock the match i thought i was very good for what was given to them i mean they got 15 minutes guys to open up wrestlemania 36 that's i mean we're gonna get to what was what was shorter than that match but 15 minutes is a good chunk of time and for them to be able to produce as good of a story and wrestle it as well as they could with no fans i think has to be commended after that moment and they brought i thought the right move was to bring in elias in the second for the second match so you could get 
So even though there was no reaction in the arena, there was reactions at home and the right reactions that you would probably want. And I just feel like they timed everything out for the most part really well and were able to balance everything as it continued. And that allowed me as a wrestling fan to be used to what was going on for the next two and a half hours after that first match. If that kind of explains my point. It does. Um, the other thing I wanted to piggyback off of when it comes to sound is something you just brought up. And again, I just briefly, I just want to touch on this. You know, they really had some challenges when it came to how they were going to produce this show with sound. Mm. I know you guys noticed they did a few things that were very different with the announcers. I'm not going to criticize announcing style but i think they went with a more minimalistic approach when it came to commentary because see here's the thing this was such a unique performance that they were showing replays of moves in the ring and the announcers were talking in the replay oh yeah like you never hear that stuff you also heard you know every every bump you heard every single one of them you heard you heard all the running you heard all the spots you heard all the talking you heard all the trash talking you heard everything that's why that's what made it so great that every everybody was wrestling so stiff because it it, you needed to because everybody was listening so the last thing you wanted is no 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 disrespect to shane mcmahon but we all know how shane mcmahon throws his little fake punches right the mm, 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 that don't that that are like pillows hitting you in the face i'm not saying that they were throwing hard that they were throwing real punches like if it was muhammad ali in the ring but i'll put it to you this way Uh, alistair black kicking bobby lashley in the face he legitimately kicked Bobby Lashley in the face. And I'm sure that that was 100% agreed upon in the back. But it's those types of things that you knew that they had to do in order for night one and night two with no fans to work. Go ahead, Thunderous Wizard. I uh, I was, my only real critique on it was some of these guys are very good performers and understand that they have to change their stick up just a tad because no one's in the audience. And some guys came down to the ring as if 60,000 people were in the crowd. Very much Doing so. the exact same walk down they would have done. It's like, hey, buddy, you be there. Like, who are you talking now, to? Now, now, here's something I will tell you, and I'm not trying to defend these guys, but I will in this case. If you're trained to do a job a specific way, and then all of a sudden a big part of your job just changes... It's very hard to get, like, to unlearn something that quickly. Now, you're absolutely right that some people are better at adjusting and better at, hey, something changes, I can adjust to it in a snap. Whereas other people, it's so ingrained and that's... And by the way, we all have those habits and we all have those things that we do on a daily basis that all of a sudden, if something's taken away from us, we're like, oh, I can't do that anymore. And so it takes us a minute to adjust. So you make an absolutely good point that there are people on this show that play, like, for instance, I thought Shayna Baszler did a very good job just walking to the ring and not doing her whole, I'm going to get heat with the crowd thing. I thought she was a performer that really was good at adjusting, whereas some other people, oh, and by the way, I'll also say this, 
to add to the fact that I love Baron Corbin as a heel, and he probably is one of the best heels in all of wrestling. You know who he yelled at? He yelled at Michael Cole because that's all he could yell at at that match because he was trying to get heat any way he could because he's that good because you have to adjust that way. So that's an excellent point in that some people can adjust and others can't. Sami Zayn, I thought, put on a clinic of how to still get heat through a television screen. 100%. He was infuriating, and it was great. Uh, you know, so there, there's some good, a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, and to the point of those, that opening tag match, I thought those four ladies did as good a job as some of the primetime female wrestlers who were supposed to steal the show did on the WrestleMania card. Well, I, I want to go ahead and say something, but before I go there, um, w one thing that I wanted to say is, I, you know, Ross, you talked about how much you loved the interactions of uh, Baron Corbin yelling at Michael Cole and yelling at JBL and, and whatnot. I think what made his interactions even better was, and I and I told this to you in in specific when we were talking on the phone about this, um, was his interactions with Ref Jess in the ring, um, who was calling the match, um, and of course you know Ref Jessica Carr is a female and that already gives you an additional dynamic that you wouldn't necessarily always get when you're watching your typical Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, but. Now you get a chance to really see the connivingness that is the character of Baron Corbin because now he's not only disrespecting an official but now he's disrespecting an official who is a woman and putting her down and then she's doing a, fan a, a fantastic job playing her character as a strong female referee who's in the ring with these alpha males and this alpha male is being the best dick he could possibly be. And that just makes you... Uh, Baron Corbin was a person that really adjusted to no crowd. Daniel Bryan was a great person who adjusted to no crowd. Elias, for a guy who feeds off the crowd like Elias, I thought Elias was fantastic in particular um, in his opening promo and in, his, in, in particular when he came down the ring and then started to beat the crap out of Baron Corbin. You mentioned Sami Zayn. Um, I think that these people adjusted uh, Shayna Baszler oh my god Shayna Baszler this was this was made for her type of character because she doesn't need a crowd to be either booing her or cheering their asses off for her she's gonna come in there destroy you rip your head off and then call it a day and walk out and not care who was there to cheer her or not all right so since we're still talking about night one I think this is I think this is how we should discuss this um, is it a consensus amongst the three of us that we all thought that the Boneyard match was the best thing that happened on night one? The best thing that happened on night one? Absolutely. Okay. So we'll get to the Boneyard match because we all have something to say and we're all, and we all love that match. Okay. So I just want to put that out there because I know we all want to talk about it and we'll save it. Now, personally, I thought night two was better 